Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dell, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi, I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. It's generally recognised that Australia's retail sector is really struggling and the fortunes of this sector seem unlikely to pick up substantially in the near term. Today I'm at the Morningstar Individual Investor Conference in Sydney where Morningstar Director of Equity Research Johannes Fall has presented on exactly this topic, how the retail sector has previously performed during a downturn and how to navigate that environment. He's kindly agreed to talk us through his findings today. Johannes, thanks so much for joining us. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Gemma. So talk us through Australia's last major recession. I mean, this is fascinating in itself. There'll be many people listening who have never experienced a recession, not in Australia, right? So what happened? Well, I'm, I guess I'm one of them because I, my boat landed in 2003 and Clearly, the, the last technical recession, if you like, in Australia is now a very long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, most people can, can barely remember it or, or not remember it. But I think that, you know, given, given the concerns the market has on, on the economic outlook globally, but also in Australia, is it, it makes sense to see how, how some of the sectors traded through, throughout that environment and are there any learnings to, to be had from that. So that's exactly what we've done with our research. It's, um, and it's awesome for people to hear about it. So can you talk us through what were the key markers of the recession you know, that you've researched? You won't even hear uh, that you've researched. What were the key markers? What were people experiencing? I remember a colleague of mine who is a little bit older than I was saying that when he left university, you know, a third of his graduate colleagues couldn't get jobs. Yeah, there was just nothing there for them to go into. And to be unemployed for six months after you finished uni was really common, which, you know, as I said, most of our listeners would not know anything like that experience. That's right, that's right. And look, looking back, it, it looks really tough. And as, as you said, I, I wasn't around. So what we really had to do is jump into our little time machine that we have at Morningstar and travel, travel way back to 1991 and have a look at, you know, how the economy looked like back then and, how quickly things may deteriorate, what happens to sales for these retailers, their earnings. And in the end, what happens to the fundamental value, their their intrinsic valuation? And then really transfer those learnings to today's space. So if you think about the retailers that were listed back in the day in the ASX 100, say, it's really only Coles, Meyer, and Woolworths later on, even after a session that was in 93, we listed a re-IPO'd. And then there was um, Burns Phillips mm-hmm. and Bunnings, and that's pretty much it. And all those major Australian chains that we all know, like at the Target and Kmart and Coles and Woolworths, they were all owned by those four, four listed entities. So I think that had taking those learnings that, that we did with our analysis and, and really applying them to today's environment gives us a, a bit of a feel what happened. And coming back to your question on like what really happened to, to the market, it deteriorated quite quickly from 1990. If we compare where we were back then to where we are today, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag if we're looking at the indicators, such as GDP growth, inflation, or unemployment rate, and household disposal income. And some of them are better, and some of them are worse off back that, by, uh, than back then. 
on balance, we would say the risk for a recession in 2020 mm. is less than 25 percent. In all our in all our valuations, in our base case, we don't factor that in. But as I said, I think it's it's very important with given that it's it's clearly on investors' mind to have an idea what will happen to my portfolio, to the retails that I own today, if something similar should happen that it did in 1991. Yeah, it's such an interesting way of thinking about it. So you've mentioned there were only four major retailers back then, and that's probably true if you went to be a Westfield shopping centre. It may not have even been owned by Westfield back then. Um, you know, you, you had your big brand department stores and not much else to choose from. You weren't here, so you won't remember. But, you know, I do remember being quite young and you would you would go to Meyer or David Jones. That was really where you went. And if they had three brands for you to choose from, well, that was a very exciting day. Um, <laughs> maybe Target. So which types of retailer most successfully navigated the last recession? What did you see when you were looking at, um, at how they travelled? Well, looking back, I think the key takeaway really to us was when we look at real sales growth throughout the categories in which those, you know, those 10 chains that, that we spoke about, Myers is one of them, Kohl's, uh, Kmart, uh, Target, we, we spoke about, how they traded those categories, they were all down except for the food and liquor category. And that's intuitively, it makes sense because people still eat. It doesn't matter if they're worried about their jobs, they always still eat. And drink, obviously. And funnily enough, if we then split out food from liquor, mm. liquor sales were actually down in real terms as well right, okay. in, that, in that period. So it's really only food that underpinned that growth of that segment, of that category, which we call as food and liquor. And surprisingly, hardware was the most hit. So the real sales in hardware were down the most, which doesn't bode well for hard, hardware retailers if you think about where they stand today, and some of them might even be perceived as being defensive plays mm -hmm. uh, for an economic cycle, but our analysis really shows that it might not be the case. And if you think about then how those retailers traded through those individual categories as a whole, they pretty much tracked, the profitability tracked what their sales did. So food and liquor businesses did the best, the hardware businesses performed the worst. But Within those categories, there were winners and losers. And if we go to food, for instance, back then in 91 is when Woolies overtook Coles as the number one supermarket in Australia. And what Woolworths did really well, and they were the clear beneficiary from that recession, is they cut prices significantly. And they competed very aggressively on price to grow market share. So every single year from 1991 to 1994, Woolworths took share on the supermarket side. Big W took share from the likes of Kmart, for instance, and also their specialty retail, Rockman's. I'm not sure if you yeah, still no, know I'm familiar it. with Rockman's. Took share. So that was a strategy, the winning strategy, and then basically, and then coming out roaring, I would say, out of that recession. So. If I'd say the retailers that have done well, mm. the categories, obviously food, Coles and Woolworths, their earnings weren't much impacted by the recession. But within that category, Woolworths was a winner. 
And in hardware, all the hardware retailers struggled. But then again, there's nuances within that category, again, how they went. And it all depends obviously on geography, in which, in which states were they operating back in the time, and also the strategies on, on discounting. So I think that was the, the past. And it's very interesting to look at. But we try to transfer those learnings then into today's Time. And where are we sitting today? And I'm an investor, and I'm worried about owning retailers. And what we can see from two scenarios that we ran, the first one was we thought about a V-shaped type recovery out of a recession, a similar recession to 1991, but really only less than a year of negative GDP growth and then bouncing back quickly. Yeah. And the second scenario, a more U-type recovery, if you think about the curve, a few years of negative sales growth within all those four categories that I mentioned, and then bouncing back after three years. And we applied lower growth rates to our universe that's, that has exposure to these, um, to these categories. And what we found is that in the V-shaped recovery, the fundamental value mm. of a retailer doesn't change materially. So even for hardware retailers such as West Farmers, and if you think about West Farmers, almost 60% of its earnings are from hardware retailing. And then another another 20% are from department stores, which also fared less well in the last recession. So if you think about that, West Farmers' fair value only declines by 4% on our numbers. Should, should we have another recession and a V-shaped recovery, and that happening in 2020? With the U-shaped recovery, that fair value impact is higher. Mm. It's not severe, though. So for West Farmers, we're talking of a decline of, call it, 12%. For Coles and Woolies, though, their earnings won't be massively impacted, um, in our view. And also their underlying, underlying valuation isn't impacted, less than 5%. So for investors owning Woolworths and Coles, our view is that there's much less concern on, on the stability, on the volatility of those earnings during an economic downturn than it is for the department stores and for hardware. That is quite fascinating, I think, for people. A couple of things come out of that for me. One, that point about Woolworths' aggressive cost-cutting during the last recession and how it used that strategy to frankly take quite significant market share from Coles back in the day. Do you think there's any capacity for them to cut costs in a new in a new downturn? I mean they've been so aggressive on costs for so long, both both major uh, supermarkets. Do you think they've got capacity to do that again? Or yeah. is it going to be harder? Absolutely. I think that I think that a lot of retailers, at least the licit space and you know the larger ones and we're talking Coles, Woolworths, but also JB Hi-Fi, for instance, or Super Retail Group. I think they're well positioned. Their balance sheets are strong enough to really take that short-term pain, if you like, during a recession to, despite lower sales and pressure on the bottom line, to nevertheless take even more of a hit on cash flows to just grow that share and come back out, if that is the strategy that they might choose. Mm. So that's... That's that's a decision that's which we haven't haven't made in our scenario now. So we haven't said, well, coal's going this way, well, it's going to run with this strategy. We apply the same same decline in sales to both of them. But I think that 
Yes, to answer your question, they, there's that capacity. I think that if there's one retailer that I'd be more concerned about is, is Meyer in terms of can they really trade through a soft patch without diluting shareholders, mm-hmm. given you know, the debt covenants where they're at. In our analysis on those two scenarios that I mentioned, if there's not a lot of operating deleverage, we think, yes, they can. Can they aggressively discount and take share through, during a downturn? Perhaps not. Mm-hmm. So again, it really, it really comes into play how, how are they sitting on the cost curve, if you like? How is their cost structure? Do they have an advantage over the competition? And also, how is how, the balance sheet? Do they have the capacity? Another interesting tidbit is, though, that the market has changed dramatically in two ways in Australia from the last recession. In our view, one, there was no internet in 1991. Mm. It didn't exist. Mm. Now we have online retailing, and we have a whole new set of competitors and also an increasing cost structure overhang, say, for the traditional retailers that are now building their online presence and their online sales. So that's one thing. The other thing is that Aldi is now in country. Mm-hmm. And if we look back and go back to the annual reports of Colesmeyer back in the day, they actually called out that By Low, which was owned by Colesmeyer back then, did really, really well and had very strong sales growth during the recession because, as they state, the consumer was attracted by the discounts, by the low price. They weren't worried too much about other things such as convenience um, or service. So I think that, that those are the two things that changed. In terms of what a recession means is to the retailers, I think from that online perspective, what we've seen in the U.S. is that online sales growth actually tapered off that growth during the GFC. Let's say we have something similar happening here and that, that migration of the consumer to the online channel being less than it currently is in terms of that pace, in terms of that growth rate, that would give our retailers more time to build those platforms, to build those businesses up, and it would be less hectic, if you like, for them. From the perspective of having a large discount supermarket mm-hmm. in country now, which is Aldi, close to 10% market share, that I think is a real threat to Coles and, and Woolworths. Were were a recession to emerge again? That's not our base case. I think that's a really fascinating point. And there's Kaufland. Kaufland, am I saying that correctly? Um, on their oh. way as well. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but they're on their way as well. And there's there's a bit of talk about that. But there was also a lot of talk about Amazon. And that talk seems to have gone away a little bit. But these these existential threats to the uh, the established players here seem to be popping up more frequently now, right? It's a different world to 1991. Well, I think, you know, when you say talks tapers off and I mean the attention span is only limited right Mm -hmm. and private companies or companies like Amazon that aren't too concerned about the bottom line they take their time and they will continue to build their business here and roll it out Aldi I think is a great point in uh, case in point where you've got a private entity coming into this market and gradually building and not worried about making losses for a number of years to build a presence. And they clearly made losses for the first, maybe even first decade Mm. they were in country. But now they're obviously rolling in it. 
And I think Kaufland is a similar story. They own, or they're owned by a group called Schwarzkoppel, which also own Lidl. And that's Aldi's main competitor back in Europe. And they, perhaps they have a similar mindset because they bought their sites. They're not, they're not renting, or at least not initially. Interesting. So they bought their sites, and it looks like they're going to open two pilot stores initially mm. to see how the format resonates with us in Australia. Does it work at all? Who knows? Might not, because they are a hypermarket mm. where about half of the products are grocers, groceries. Other half general merchandise. But let's say that resonates and they really roll out what they say is initially 20 stores. I think that that would introduce further price pressure. They won't take heaps of market share from the incumbents, but what they'll do is they'll try to compete on price because in a commoditized business, which you know fast-moving consumer goods largely are, mm. price is a key differentiator when it comes to, to garnering traffic, to garnering market share. Do you see, even if we don't enter a technical recession, this real downward pressure on wage growth to the point where it's frankly um, lower than inflation and has been for a while, so negative real wage growth, do you see that leading to much more enthusiasm for this cost compression on the consumer side? Do you see consumers moving that way irrespective of whether or not there's a recession? Yes. So there's... There's obviously structurally a move towards discounters, and clearly this channel has been reintroduced by Aldi, mm -hmm. and it resonates with Australians to a degree. Mm -hmm. They're not 50% market share, there's just under 10, but it resonates with those consumers, and the thinking is that where things get even tougher than they are, and as you describe, you know, right now in our numbers, the, the, the household disposal income per capita, in real terms, it's actually negative yeah. over the last 12 months, which means every individual in this country has less real buying power mm. from, or put it this way, not buying power, but disposable income than we all had this time last year ago. That is obviously weighing on, on, on the retail environment, and I think you pointed to, to that in, in the early comments that retailers are, are having it tough at the moment, mm -hmm. you know, with very low inflation, less than 2%, mm -hmm. and also weak consumer, arguably, that comes from that low wage growth. So whether we enter a recession or not, you know, the threats are... Certainly the consumer's feeling strongly that they, are, that they, they like low prices, let's put it that way. Yeah, so look, I think that, that, those, are, that are, those are two almost separate issues. They're, they're, inter, they're interlinked, and... Mm -hmm a recession would exaggerate that, yeah. what we're already seeing. But I, as I said, don't believe that things are going to get much worse. Or put it this way, the possibility of that is less than 25% of a severe slowdown. And if you think about what severe means is, in 1990, we had two, close to 2% 2 GDP growth. We're roughly there right now, we're at yeah. 1.8 or 1.9. And within 12 months, we're negative one. Right. So it can turn very quickly. And unemployment went from under 7% back then to over 9%. And that's what I mean by a very severe economic slowdown. Right now, as I say, 
I think it's a mixed bag of economic indicators. I think the consumer, despite low, low wage growth, and as I said, household disposable income, in real terms, is not growing in our view, but un- the unemployment rate, thankfully, mm. still remains very low. And given that the inflation rate is low, even though that's not that great for retailers, it gives the RBA the opportunity to cut rates, mm. cut rates proactively, if you like, without worrying about creating a lot of inflation. In 1990, the CPI stood at 7.5%. And now we're under 2%. So that that possibility was probably not there for the RBA to cut early. It's a a different world, right? They're completely different numbers to anything we're familiar with these days. You mentioned that Maya is you know, one to keep an eye on, right, in terms of risk, that they would need to continue to discount and so on in terms of attracting uh, consumer attention and so on if things do deteriorate. What other companies do you think are most at risk if things slow down further? Look, as I said, I think that when I think about risk, when I think, I guess our approach to Morningstar is... We, our hat that we wear is as a long-term investor. We think about, will we buy this stock and hold it for three years? And with that hat on, what I'm really concerned about is, what is the intrinsic, what's the underlying value of this company? Will it, will it move much? Will it shift if there's, if there's a slowdown? And as I said, our, our research suggests that, that a cyclical slowdown is much less impactful on where we see the fair value of these retailers, including Meyer. Oh, right, okay. Then we do, then the, then the long-term assumptions in terms of structural challenges, again, Meyer, the department scores, losing the share of consumers' wallets, really, over time, and, and, and also the, the increased competition that we spoke about in supermarkets, but also from Amazon. Those are structural changes, those are longer-term changes, they will persist and they will weigh on the sector. That we factor in in our fair values. A short-term cyclical slowdown doesn't have a severe impact. However, and this is where I come back to Meyer, is if there's a soft patch like that where cash flow dries up, would, would Meyer be in the position to trade through that without diluting its shareholders, so without raising capital mm. or, the, or the like? And we think... On our two scenarios that we ran, yes, they would not breach their debt covenants, but they are the weakest link. Right. That's um, that's quite a powerful summary there. They're the weakest link. It's good. To, uh, I think many investors have have lived the Meyer experience over many years. Uh, it was one of the most held stocks by self-managed super funds many years ago. Um, and this may have been before your time because they used to have the 10% discount card at Meyer. You would get a 10% discount card with your shareholding. Uh, and then they banned that for self-managed super funds that you were not allowed to get this ancillary benefit attached to your self-managed super fund holding. So everyone just sold it. Is <laughs> the government banned it though? Sorry? Or did Meyer ban it? No, it was a legislative, it was actually a, a definition box. change from the tax office more than anything else and uh, and it was it had quite a significant impact on DJs and Myers which clearly told us that people were holding them for a very specific reason <laughs> it was quite funny Johannes uh, Navtrade investors are fortunate enough to have Morningstar research available via the platform they can actually look at your views on specific stocks which is 
widely used and very much appreciated but you also produce a whole lot of other fantastic content you make days like today available to your subscribers how can people keep up to date with what you guys are doing look i think the first point of call is really visiting morningstar.com.au where where investors can have a look at at a trial, for instance, on our on our offerings, you know, where we have editorial content next to research and on and so on and so on. And, you know, videos with our analysts, videos with with you know, industry I, I guess leaders. And it's 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 a very interesting place to to go to and have have a glance around. So it's morningstar.com.au. That's that's where I'd start looking. Thank you so much. I know for our investors, you know, the biggest challenge for people always is what to buy and when to sell. So having access to that sort of content is fantastic. Uh, Johannes, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you so much for listening also. As always, we hope this episode has been helpful for you on your journey to creating wealth. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, we do love to hear from you. So please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.